Welcome to God Size Stories. This is your host, Patricia Holbrook, and today I share an interview that is sure to inspire and challenge you. What is truth? Is there an absolute truth, or are you tempted to believe that truth is relative? Like you have your truth, I have my truth, and we all can get along just fine. A recent poll from Summit Ministries and McLaughlin and Associates shows that the USA has passed a tipping point. About 55% of young American voters now are saying that there is no absolute truth. Rather, it is up to each individual to divine their own truth. The results also showed an alarming high number of Americans that are embracing moral relativism. 40% of American voters believe that each person determines their own version of truth. Well, my guest today is President of Summit Ministries, Dr. Jeff Myers. Dr. Myers has become one of America's most respected authorities on youth leadership development. He is the author of 14 books, including Understanding the Faith, Understanding the Times, and Understanding the Culture, which are textbooks that are studied by tens of thousands of students, including my two daughters who studied those books in high school. Well, in his new book, Truth Changes Everything, Dr. Myers challenges the idea that all hope to find truth is lost in our culture, and he tells the fascinating stories of how Jesus' followers lived for truth and transformed their world in times of crisis. According to Dr. Myers, truth changes everything, asks the question, what kind of world would unfold if smart, determined people lived as if Jesus really was the truth? Get ready to be blessed by another episode of God-Sized Stories. How are you doing, Dr. Myers? Very well, thank you. Well, good. It's such a such a blessing and, and an honor to have you on my show. I have known your work for many years. Both both my daughters, they went to a, oh, one is still at, at a high school and they go to a Christian school and uh, they both did your understanding the, the faith and understanding the time curriculum. Oh, wow. Well, yeah. brave girls, those are 500 page textbooks. I actually, I actually world. just grabbed uh, the one that from last year, from her sophomore year, I still have it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's uh, I grabbed it. All. I told her, I said, Ma, uh, I'm actually interviewing uh, Dr. Jeff Meyer. She's like, mom, my teacher is going to want to hear this interview. I was like, <laughs> I'll send it to him. Oh, that's fun. <laughs> Yeah, that's great. Uh, this is awesome. Well, just a, a brief introduction. I will, uh, of course, in the introduction of this podcast, there'll be a little more about Dr. Jeff Myers, but he's the president of Summit Ministries. Uh, that's a Colorado-based uh, nonprofit organization. And the the whole objective of, of the organization is to equip and support the rising generation to embrace God's truth and champion a biblical worldview. 
Uh, Summit reaches hundreds of thousands of Christians each year through worldview training events, books, curriculum, and other online resources. And like I said, I already knew his work uh, from both my children. And, and it's like going to seminary in high school. <laughs> it, it really it was. Oh, I, I have to tell you, it was like going to seminary for me. So the book you held up there, Understanding the Faith, is is there there are three textbooks in that series. That one is focused on what is a Christian worldview and where does it come from? And why should we rely on the Bible? Why should we say the Bible has authority? What's the basis of its authority? How do we know that it's true? How do we know that what it says about God is accurate? And then I just asked all, well, not all of the big questions that I had, but a lot of them, like how could a good God allow pain? What about hell? Uh, isn't it intolerant to say that you know the truth? All of those kinds of things that I probably would have learned if I had gone to seminary. <laughs> so writing the book and working with mentors who helped me with each chapter kind of was a seminary education yes. for me as an author. Absolutely. And there's a ton of apologetics on this um, on, on this curriculum, because I remember my oldest daughter when she was taking, and I want to say it was an understanding the faith that she would come home and say, Mom, did you know that Jesus is all over the Old Testament? You know, and she would come with those like aha moments. Was, and uh, so just a, we owe a great debt to you for writing this because it definitely equips this generation that's going into college if they really take it to heart and study yeah. it and write, not just, uh, just glance over to go to college in and encounter those debates, those things that come against our faith in confidence that we do have the truth, right? The truth. Yeah. And um, let me tell, tell our audience a little bit more about Summit, Dr. Myers. Well, our, our organization has been in existence since 1962. We're based in Manitou Springs, Colorado, which is a little hippie town right at the foot of Pikes Peak, right next to Colorado Springs. And our founder, Dr. David Noble, believed that you could help young adults better prepare to become leaders if they understood the times in which they live, that they understood them from a biblical worldview, but they also understood something about the counterfeit worldviews that they would be facing. It's one thing to feel or even have intellectual reasons for believing that your faith is true. It's another thing to go out into a society where a great number of people, the vast majority of your college professors at least, believe something entirely different and mm -hmm. not, um, not faint in the face of that kind of criticism, but rather learn to see everything from a biblical worldview and recognize what those challenges are and wh where the weaknesses in those challenges are and how on balance a biblical Christian worldview is true. So that with that introduction, David Noble uh, began a two-week-long program for young adults, started in 1962. These programs continue to this day. We'll have 2,000 young people mm -hmm. who will be studying with us this summer. We bring in the top Christian thought leaders from around the United States in theology, economics, all of the issues that young adults will be facing. And then we have lectures with them. We have question and answer times. We have small groups, one-on-one -on -one mentoring to really help young adults become equipped and feel supported in embracing God's truth and championing 
a biblical worldview. What an amazing ministry and important on this day and time where, you know, we are, we are, we Christians in general who stand on the truth of God's word are already attacked anyway as adults, but as, as, a, as a barely young adults, really, because they're barely teenagers when they, when they go to college, uh, the pressure, the peer pressure, the pressures of the world and the temptations make it so hard for them to be able to stand strong in what they have known. So I love it. I also was reading a little bit about you and you and I have something in common. I came to Christ when I was 25 years old mm. um, and I was an agnostic. So I understand the how important it is for people like you and I to really understand the faith, right? To really understand the truth uh, that that God is the God's word is truth, not just because mom and dad says so. And I love that you equip kids to go into the world with that kind of uh, that kind of uh, understanding and knowledge. I love that. So beautiful. Well, I appreciate you saying that. It's 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 a distinction that's really important. A lot of people have asked me, so how does how does Summit get these long-term results? Because we study our graduates one year, five years, 10 years out. So we're always studying our graduates long-term. And, and we find that their biblical Christian worldview gets really strong at Summit, and then it stays strong for mm-hmm. a long time to come. How's that different than other camps where you kind of develop a feeling that you feel bad about your sins, you want to be closer to Jesus, but by the next week, you're sort of back to your old habits? Yes. Well, I think the the difference, Patricia, is that at Summit, we try to help students see the world differently. C.S. Lewis said, I believe that the sun is risen, not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. Wow. So it's yeah. it's not just learning to feel differently about your faith. It's learning to use your faith as, the, as a basis for seeing everything. And we specifically at Summit focus on, we focus on theology, but we mm-hmm. also fo- focus on philosophy and yeah. economics and politics and law and all of these different areas where we know young adults will face challenges to their faith. Challenges they may not even recognize as challenges unless they have a new way of seeing the world. Absolutely. This is a very important, very important ministry. And I will, of course, put all the information about Summit on the show notes, because I'm sure the moms and dads of uh, high schoolers are going to be looking into this as a wonderful program to send their kids to. But today we're actually talking about your brand new book. I have a copy here. <laughs> Truth changes everything, which uh, you um, uh, have been kind enough to give a copy of it to someone in my audience. So, y'all, you're listening to this. You share this interview, and you can get enter a drawing to get a copy of this incredible book. Truth changes everything. The story behind the book is fascinating. So. First of all, I understand that you were battling with cancer, really a, a, a really bad situation, um, grim uh, future uh, by what the doctor said. First of all, I want to know how you're doing. I, I'm, I'm feeling really well, thank you. And I've been now 13 months in remission from cancer. Wow. And the, the visits that I have with the doctor, we're... Uh, 
we're, we're seeing really good results. Praise but whether God. we continue to see good results or not is not as important as the fact that I live differently. Every day is a gift. Absolutely. It and, changes everything. <laughs> oh, and it changes what I think is most important. You know, mm-hmm. Patricia, when I was, I'd been diagnosed with cancer and I had this contract to write a book. Well, if you aren't sure you're going to live, you begin asking questions like, well, what's the most important thing to say? Mm-hmm. If this is the last conversation I ever get to have with this person, what should I, what would I say? If this is the last letter they'll ever get from me, what should I say? If this mm-hmm. is the last book I ever get to write, is this really the one I want to write? Yes. My wife, Stephanie, and I prayed about this. We talked with our team about it quite a bit and realized, nope, this is the one that this, this is the hill worth dying on. Mm-hmm. Either there is truth, capital T, and we will recognize it and respond to it, or we'll lose everything that our civilization has given us that, that represents progress and flourishing and blessing to the nations. Absolutely. And, and that is really uh, the question that generated the beginning of this book, right? Or the, the idea of this book is you said, and you see here, I'm going to put my glasses because I also need them. <laughs> you, you say, you say this, uh, what might a person write? Just what you, what you just said, if they knew it might be the last thing they could say to this side of attorney. And you said, truth changes. Everything is my answer to that question. Do you want to unpack for us, why this book not only is was your uh, discovery of your journey, of course, as as you're as you're facing possibly the end of your life, and you're saying what is important to say. Uh, why is this so relevant today? Well, Patricia, I th- when I was growing up, people believed that there is such a thing as truth. We might not see it the same way. Our perspectives will taint how we see it. We might disagree about how to arrive at truth, but it does exist. And when people would criticize, even say a biblical worldview, they would say a biblical worldview is untrue. It's In other words, it doesn't conform to the facts of the known world. Mm-hmm. But since that time, within the last 30 years, there's been a dramatic shift in the world of academia that has now made its way into the popular culture. And that new way of thinking says, it's not about seeking the truth, it's about speaking your truth. That each person determines what is true for themselves. That view has now become the majority view. So the young adults we work with, they have now gotten to the place where the majority of them, a strong majority of them, believe that truth is up to each person to decide, that there's no truth that is out there to be discovered. And this is not just them saying, uh, you know, speak your truth, bro. Like, you know, yeah. in other words, <laughs> right. in other words, uh, just give your opinion and, you know, have some boldness about it. That's not what this is. What this is, is a, a rethinking of whether or not reality exists objectively exists independently of us in a way that it can be perceived by anyone anywhere at any time in an accurate way, if they have the tools for seeing it accurately and if they're not deceiving themselves. So 
I know that was a mouthful, but it's, it's a philosophical sea change. It's something that if we don't grapple with it, we will, we will find that every person ends up isolated in their own little fantasy world, unable to relate to the other people and even unable to develop mental health. I mean, M Scott Peck, who was a, wrote the book, the road less traveled in the 1970s, significant uh, work in the field of psychiatry. And I agreed with some of the things he said, disagreed with some of the things he said, but this point has always stuck with me. Road to mental health involves grappling with reality at all costs. Hmm. In other words, if you believe you have your own reality, that's the very definition of mental illness. Yes, absolutely. And now people in the academic world have said, no, well, that's it. Well, that's it. Like we got to change that because we all have our own reality. Mm-hmm. None of us lives in the same world as anyone else. And now this is even being pl- applied to science and to history mm-hmm. so that there isn't even anything outside of us that we can know to be true. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, I think that the realities and the statistics of uh, mental illness this day in time speaks to that truth, right? To the fact that the fact that uh, people are grasping to uh, about just about anything that's relative to whatever they are in life, their own desires, their own needs, you know, whatever they call, instead of uh, establishing that there is truth and the truth has a name, and, and that is really the heart of this book is to yeah. empower people to understand that the truth has a name and his name is Jesus. And, and but I love the what you've done. You have actually used um, throughout the book important Christian figures uh, in the field of science, philosophy, history to show how they, with their faith, change the world. Can you t- tell us a little bit more about that? Well, it was it, it was an approach I decided to take in in grappling with well, how do you, how do you get people to recognize truth if everybody believes that they have their own truth? Mm-hmm. Well, there are a couple of ways to do it. I could refute all of the arguments about relativism, which good philosophers would do. I could <laughs> I could write a book reaffirming all of the arguments for truth and construct all of the the mental processes and logical syllogisms and so forth that demonstrate this. But I thought, you know, truth, truth is known in its, in its doing. Mm -hmm. It's not just what we know, it's how we live. Mm -hmm. So did this idea that emerged with the life, death and resurrection of Christ, that Jesus is the truth, did that actually change things? Because it's a it's a startling claim. Yes. The, the Greeks would agree with you that you could develop logical propositions that would demonstrate the truth. Uh, the Enlightenment authors would have agreed with you, you could develop mathematical formulas that model the world as it actually exists. But the claim that Jesus is a truth, the truth exists, and it's not just a set of logical propositions. It's not just mathematical formulae. It is a person. That's radical. Yes. That is totally different. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So if you were to live that out, what kind of world would emerge? That was the question. So then I had the privilege to just go back in history and look at some of the areas that you mentioned and in science and in the arts and in education, even areas like politics, which are mm-hmm. um, politics is divisive these right. days. But even in that area, there were Jesus followers who made the difference. They believed that Jesus is the truth, sought to be the very best scientists, artists, and so forth that they could be. And their work literally changed the course of the world. Now, you must have had some sort of process to select these people because there are a lot of them. So like, how did you select this man and women to highlight in the book? Well, one one fun thing about writing a book is that you get to write about what you find interesting. Yes. <laughs> I'm just no. going to do whatever I want to no, do because right. it's yeah. my book. <laughs> I, I I like this story, so this is going to go in the book. Yeah, and and you know, obviously, I have people on a team here, and they that we we talk through different things together to see does this story really resonate? Does this story really demonstrate the point that you're trying to make? Things like that, but I. I I basically selected stories, number one, where the evidence is very clear that this person was a Jesus follower and that they really embraced at a deep level the idea that Jesus is the truth. And then stories that, are, that, that, that touch our hearts, they aren't just intellectual stories. You could have a scientist who believes that Jesus is the truth and then write out his formulae and show all of the different things that he did. And it could still fail to touch your heart because, well, you might not even understand what he was working on. Absolutely. I mean, and some of these people were the the work they were doing and like uh, Leonard Euler is one of the, one of the figures I, I talked about this guy's work in mathematics and in logic would baffle 99.9% of people. Hmm. And yet it was so important that when people make new discoveries in mathematics and logic today, they joke that you have to name your discovery after the first person, after Leonard Euler who discovered it. Otherwise, everything <laughs> would be named after Leonard Euler. <laughs> wow. uh, but he was, he, he was, he was brilliant. And, and also he loved Jesus. He was a very devout man. And he saw all of his work as, as sort of going along with the idea that, that we learned from Kepler, that you, you're trying to think God's thoughts after him. The more yes. you study about the world, the more you're able to reveal aspects of God's hidden nature, and that brings glory to him. Well, it also brings transformation to the world. So I tried to find those stories where there was a human touch, and uh, hopefully we'll have a chance to talk about some of them as we go through the show. Yes, I I love that you well, I would love I love the example that you give about the the mathematician that you know, what a incredible field, right to tie to uh, truth and to tie to just understanding Jesus and understanding how he relates in the world and mathematics is all over the universe. We know that. So I'm sure that there's a lot of that too. But you share in your book, 14 ways to practice speaking up in a way that builds trust when you are trying to share your faith. Can you share like one or two of those ways that you can I'd be, I'd be happy to. Yes. So after in the book, after we go through all of the the stories and, and, and the, I cover lots of areas, I mentioned art, science, but we also cover justice. Uh, we also cover m- 
medicine and charity. We also cover even the nature of work. The way we think about work these days, Mm -hmm. the positive ways that we think about work and the way it contributes to our lives and the way we want to work to make a difference, all of that is the legacy of Jesus followers. Mm -hmm. But then I started asking the question, well, all right, so great. So you've got all of these amazing artists and musicians and scientists and legal theorists who did all of these incredible things because they believe that Jesus is the truth. But what does that look like for me today? Right. Now, in in my town, we're in Manitou Springs, Colorado. That's where we're headquartered. It's a little hippie town. Uh, you will find a great diversity of opinion on all kinds of issues here. I'm sure. Yeah, this is, <laughs> Colorado. Yes, I I know a little. I've never been there, but I know a little bit about that. <laughs> Colorado. Well, you uh, it, people here are friendly, but mm-hmm. they have a divergent. Hmm, Lots of divergent views yes. on, on politics, on the nature of the universe, you know, right. we, new age spirituality Absolutely. is a big part of what's happening in this community. So if you're interacting with people, you're actually involved in the dialogue about the ideas, about the nature of reality without even knowing it. Mm-hmm. So in this community, uh, we learned a long time ago, you want to be a good neighbor. You want to love people be friendly, be kind, help, uh, be a good neighbor. But then when it comes to talking about ideas, take a a posture of curiosity. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things I recommend. If you you come into a situation and you make statements, which I think a lot of us are prone to do, certainly that's the way it is on the internet, right? (laughs) Absolutely. So boxes everywhere. Oh yeah. We all (laughs) want to see it. We all get on there. We give our view and, and then people like, people like commentators who seem like they've got it locked down. Like they're Mm -hmm. so sure that if you disagree with them, you should be ashamed of yourself. Absolutely. Well, we know that doesn't really work in personal conversations. No. Uh, I'm not sure it really has any kind of real impact on the internet. It just seems to get a lot of attention. Right. But if you're that sort of person in in an individual conversation, people will think you're a jerk. They won't they won't want to talk to you. Mm-hmm. If you really want to reach people, you have to sort of cross the divide. Right. If our, let's say there's a nation that we're at war with, uh, we don't just we don't just write long letters to them about what they need to do and try to give all of the facts, we send somebody there. We send diplomat. Mm -hmm. And Paul to the Corinthians said that we are ambassadors for Christ, that he makes his message known through us. Mm -hmm. Now that's cool. Mm -hmm. Great to think that you're an ambassador for Christ, but if that doesn't scare you, you're not thinking about it very clearly. Absolutely. I agree. Because God has taken his message of the redemption of the universe and put it into our hands to communicate. We always have to be asking the question, am I being a good ambassador for Christ in this conversation? Mm. Or am I just letting my ego take control of the conversation? So if that's true in all these different situations that we have in our lives, when we're interacting with people personally, then we've got to learn sort of a new way, a new, new way to dialogue. And we teach that through questions primarily. Mm -hmm. So if we're if I'm in a conversation, what, what a person says, I might ask, Hey, tell me what you, what you mean by that? How are you defining that term? Mm -hmm. The other day, somebody said to me, Hey, well, you know, we all, 
uh, you know, I, I appreciate your message because you're speaking your truth. And I said, mm. okay, what do you mean by truth? Let's talk about that first. Can we come to a, a mutual understanding of what the term truth means? Right. We ask questions like, how did you arrive at that conclusion? When our, when somebody says, you know, I, I, I kind of would like to believe in God, but I've had some really rough times and God should have rescued me from those and he didn't. So I'm not really sure he's as powerful as you say he is. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, t- tell me about those experiences. Sounds like you really went through some tough things. Would you be willing to share those with me? Mm-hmm. Those kinds of questions open up rather than close down the conversation. They also show that you're sort of the sort of person, not who just wants to butt heads, you know, get to the mic drop moment, boom, you know, I owned you yes. kind of thing. But no, we're not like this. We're two people walking side by side, seeking an unknown truth. Mm-hmm. I think that one of the things that happened, Dr. Myers, is that Christians are afraid of getting out of that box of the truth. Don't, I don't know if you agree with me, but um, maybe the church hasn't even equipped us well enough to be able to welcome different opinions, different points of view of life and in love and yet start the conversation. Jesus did that, right? Jesus didn't just go to anywhere and just started right away with truth. He he would, he's all about making the relationship. It's just the approach the the, the show that he cares. And that's what you're talking about. Wouldn't you agree that the church ha- does not equip us well enough uh, through our Bible studies or what have you to have that kind of approach in this world? Yeah. I, I think all the raw material is there, but sometimes it's not fit together mm-hmm. properly. So you have some churches that really talk about the truth boy, they hit it hard. Mm-hmm. Then you have other churches that say, well, we're never really going to get people's attention to talk about the truth unless we first of all relate to them. So let's downplay the truth and focus on the relationship. Mm-hmm. A, a biblical view is that those two things are integrated at all times and in every way. So uh, I, I try to have people picture a DNA double helix. You've got mm-hmm. two strands, truth and relationship, and they twist together and they connect through nucleotides And that's how they reproduce. So truth and relationship are the two strands in the DNA of influence. If you speak truth without relationship, you come across as arrogant. If you are relational, but refuse to speak the truth, you come across as apathetic. Mm -hmm. So two, but when you take truth and relationship and put them together, things really begin to change. So if you ask people who work at Summit Ministries, what's your job? They'll tell you what their job title is, but they will also say to you, the core of my job is to connect truth and relationship for people every day. Wow. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a challenge, but it's the only way that you're really hurt. And especially this day and time where, as you said, there are so many narratives out there, right? That uh, there's so much relativism in truth like it's my truth and you you talk about that in your book you know truth with a capital capital t and the little truth do you want to talk a little bit more about how you expand that on the book sure well capital t truth it refers to truth that exists and can be known to exist 
It's the kind of truth Jesus talked about in John 8, 32. And he said, if you follow my teachings, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The word truth there, the word in Greek is aletheia. It means reality. So Jesus wasn't just saying, if you follow my teachings, you're going to know your truth. No, if you follow my teachings, you're going to know reality as it actually exists, Mm -hmm. which is something that everybody's sort of wanted through time unless they've deluded themselves. Only people who don't really want to know reality are people who are uh, suffering from some kind of an addiction Mm -hmm. or or a dysphoria of some sort. Yeah. Um, Yeah. You know, they... You have people who are very sadly, for example, would be maybe be suffering from anorexia mm-hmm. or bulimia. And when that person looks in the mirror, what they see is not what's actually there. Yes. So they might they might look in the mirror and they could actually be very frail, but they still look at themselves as having too much body mass. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 a compassionate response to that person would not be, yeah, yeah, when I look at you, I see too much body mass. You know, if that's what you think, if that's what's true for you, go for it. No, a compassionate response would be to help walk alongside the person to align their perceptions with what is actually so. That's the idea of capital T truth. Right. Small t truth or truths uh, says that no big truth exists, or at least it can't be discovered or known by us. But what we have are our small truths. Our experiences construct us. People talk about social construction. It's actually an academic term that people use, but we know that our experiences change us. There's no question about that. But some people believe that our experiences are all we have that that is what constructs reality. So there's a fundamental battle between these two perspectives of truth. Mm -hmm. Everything that we think of as good in the world came about from people who believed in capital T truth. But now that perspective has been abandoned and people have just said, well, we all have our own truth. And as I mentioned earlier, no civilization has ever survived unless people abandoned that silly perspective and regained their capacity to discover truth, even if it led them to conclusions that they didn't want to arrive at. Right. And we have seen right throughout the several decades and now talking about the United States, right? Um, and even I'm from Brazil originally. So I, I'm talking about our uh, Western hemisphere. You have seen within, within the last several decades, just a, a change in paradigm with when it comes to truth, right? We had, especially here in America, you know, a very strong Christian, Judeo-Christian beliefs that were very strong until until several, ten, two, three, four decades ago. Mm-hmm. And now we're seeing, uh, I just was reading here, a recent poll by Summit Ministries and McCarling and Associates show that America has passed a tipping point with 55% of young American voters aged 18 to 29 now saying that there is no absolute truth. Rather, it is up to each individual to divine their own truth. And then you say, it says that about uh, the, a number of American overall are embracing moral relativism. 40% of American voters express an opinion on the issue, believe each person determines their own version of truth. So we know that there has been a decline. And I know that if we had, if we were to hold this 
four decades ago, the scenario was much different, I am sure. Um, so my question to you on that regard, I know that with the, in this book, you say that you refuse to believe that this, that there's not a point, uh, that, the, that this is not the point of no return for our country, for the Western world. Can t- tell us a little bit about that. Well, a lot of people, the, da- the danger in talking about something that's so serious, something that could bring about the end of civilization, is that people would say, well, it, we're already, you know, that ship has already sailed. It's too far gone. There is no way we can ever get the truth back. So I decided to look back in history, and this is a huge part of the book, Truth Changes Everything, and ask the question, have we ever been here before? Have we, has civilization ever been in a place where it didn't look like we could recover, but we did? Mm-hmm. And the answer is, it's actually happened a lot of times. Right. One of the key examples I give in the book is of the bubonic plague, the Black Death, which first struck in Europe yeah. in 1349. A third to half of the people in European cities where we have records died in the most excruciating way imaginable. Well, nothing we've experienced comes close to that. No, no one who's watching or listening to this broadcast has experienced that level of devastation. Right. Nothing, I, I, you know, it's, it's horrible that gas prices are so high. It's mm-hmm. horrible that grocery prices are high. It's horrible that, you know, life seems so diminished in the eyes of many people. But we're not in the worst place that we've ever been. We have a chance to, uh, to recover, to fight back. But here's what happened in the 1300s that I thought was so fascinating. And when I first realized this, I thought, okay, am I really, is this really true? Because this is so incredible, but I just, it just seemed like, oh man, I just know this can't really be the case. But it turned out with every study, and I examined this for a long time in economics, in the arts, in science, and all of these things, the mid 1300s was a tipping point. Mm-hmm. in the right direction rather than in the wrong one. Now, how could that possibly be? A third to a half of the people die and then things really turn around for all of civilization, affecting the whole rest of the world. Mm-hmm. What happened is this. People, instead of walking away from God, which you might expect, hey, God, if you're going to let half of our neighbors die in excruciating death, forget you. And yes. We don't need you. You abandon us. We're going to abandon you. That isn't what happened. What happened instead is that people saw a suffering Christ, that Jesus is not up there watching us suffer. He's right here suffering with us. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of people say, okay, but how do you know that would actually happen? It happened. Well, a lot of people wrote about this. So you have, you have examples, for example, Catherine of Siena. Mm-hmm. She was one who ran toward the plague victims rather than away from them. And people told her, Catherine, you need to get out. All the smart people are getting out. Everybody owes money. We're getting out. We're yeah. leaving. Uh, just let those people die. And she said, no, I'm, I'm going to be here with them. Well, why? Well, because I want to be with Jesus. What on earth do you mean? You can be with Jesus anywhere. No, Jesus sits with the suffering. I want to be with Jesus. Mm-hmm. I sit with the suffering. And she did. 
And, and doctors became so ashamed by her example as a young woman that they turned around, came back, began to treat the plague victims. And out of that emerged, well, essentially the system of healthcare that we have today. Today. Mm-hmm. Well, that was just one example uh, changes in economics. You can see the changes in uh, property ownership, the changes in the belief that the king did not own everything, but everybody has rights. Changes in art. If you go into museums, like you go to Florence, you go to the academia, you can look at a painting from the 1200s and a painting from the 1300s or 1400s, and you will notice a big, big difference. difference. Absolutely. Well, what's the difference? The painting from the 1300s and the 1400s, it's, there's more of a realism to it. Uh, mm-hmm. Even the, the pictures of Jesus on the cross or Jesus after having been taken down from the cross, it, it's, it, it sends chills through you because it's so real. real. Mm-hmm. It, and, and you realize that people no longer were just having Jesus, you know, kind of up here in the heavens with a gold thing around his head and, you know, all the angels, but, but that they were, that Jesus was with them. Mm-hmm. He was, he was here with us. He's suffering with us. Mm-hmm. And that idea of the suffering savior led people to realize Jesus is here. Like he's yes. not just out there. Yes. That old song about, you know, um, God is watching us from a distance. Mm-mm. Nope. He's yeah. right here with us. Right he here is. with us. And that changed everything for the people starting in the 1300s, going on through the Renaissance, the Reformation, uh, even up until the present day. Yes. It's in- what, a, what a beautiful uh analogy of of history. I loved it. It's incredible. It really is. And it also shows us that, and, and this is the invitation really that Dr. Myers gives the reader, is this is, it's our it's our responsibility as believers, you know, it's within your area of work, within the calling that God has for you, the purpose it has for you, your personal life, the you have to shine the truth and know how to convey the truth in love and and to speaking up in, in a way that builds trust, as it says in the book, uh, and that we will invite people to know more and to change the world around you. Just as he said, uh, there are people throughout history that did that. They changed society in horrible times. And uh, I agree with you. Doc. Um, I refuse. You know, I have friends who uh, are always just uh, studying prophecy and uh, Jesus is coming back. Jesus, we know he's coming back, but until he does, there's a lot of work to do. And I, and I am with you. I do not agree that it's a, a place of no return. We have been there in throughout history. Anybody that loves history and studies, we know we are not in the worst situation that this world has ever been. And yes, more, I mean, seriously, morals for instance look at the roman empire you know look at what the society was when the roman empire was it it was you know we know that 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 is uh it's what we're seeing today so it in a lot of ways so we've been there before yes there is hope because there's jesus and until the time the trumpet sounds our work is to speak truth and uh, in a way that people will want to hear. And you teach us throughout this book, not only that there is a truth with capital T that should dismiss all little truths when you know 
uh, and you convey it with your life first and then with your words, um, but also that this truth can change the world again, can yeah. change society again, and turn around these uh, statistics that are pretty bad, you know, as we look at today. And I've been I've been interviewing a lot a lot of people. One of one of the people that I interviewed uh, this year was um, a, a Christian psychologist, and he was talking about the horrible statistics of suicide among young, among men and uh, and young men and teenagers. And it's a very sad situation. But again, it's a lot as a response of this lack of truth with capital T in our society. I love the way uh, I love the way that the God inspired you to write this book, uh, Dr. Myers, for such a time as this. I know, and and I love it that it was uh, written in your heart first at a time when you were you were contemplating the possibility of the end of your life. I'm so grateful that he chose to to keep you here and continue to <laughs> minister uh, to the world. And I know that the best is yet to come. We, you have much more to offer us. So I'm very mm. grateful that you that you are well. And my prayers that you continue to to shine your, your strong light for the Lord through Summit and your writing. So such a well, pleasure you. to interview you. Thank you, Patricia. And I, I hope that the people who are watching or listening to the show will get excited about getting the book. Uh, take a look at it. Uh, we talked to one person the other day. She said, I just read a paragraph or two every day, yes. but I'm making my way through the book. Others yes. have said, oh, no, we got a bunch of copies and we have a book group and we're yes. talking about it. And some of us agree with you and some of us don't. That's perfectly fine. It's, it's wonderful. the whole goal is to start the discussion about yes. how we move toward truth. And, and that's been a lot of fun. Every chapter, by the way, has a section at the end, what do we do now? Mm -hmm. So there are specific things that you can talk about with your right. family and with your friends to apply the things that are in the book. But, yes, but, it, it, that, that's what, uh, what I wanted to say about this book. You know, it, first, first of all, it's very meaty. So uh, there's no fluff in here, but at, at the same time, very easy to understand. And then at the end, very practical as well. Like I said, you know, at the end of every chapter, there's just like things that you can, you can take. It's a great book for, a, for, a, uh, for a book club, for sure. And for Bible study. So, and I will be leaving all this information on how, where you can find this book and find, find out more about Summit and Dr. Myers. Uh, on my show notes, and I'll also be writing a column for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution that's going to be linked to this show notes that you can read a little bit more, and all the links to everything that you need to know about Dr. Myers and the books are going to be there. I'm very, very happy to share it. Thank you, Patricia. I really enjoyed the conversation. It's fun to talk with. It's fun to talk with a fellow book nerd. <laughs> oh, you can see my books there. I, am, I can see, I am, the, I I can see your library there. Yes. Uh, you have the ladder. I, I covet the ladder, I have to say. Oh, uh, but no. it's, Isn't it's that fun. the coolest thing? You know, I when I was pregnant with my oldest, our oldest daughter, I worked for my church. And uh, and one, the pastor that I worked for, he had that exact um, bookcase. And mm. I told him, where did you get it? And I went there and I got it too. I don't think they make them anymore, but I never, I actually have gone up that ladder a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love it. Uh, well, you can kind of tell my books are, uh, mine are not nearly as, uh, 
organized as yours. They're just sort of, it's like an explosion <laughs> in, a, in a book factory. And actually this is one of two rooms that are my office. Oh, and wow. the other one also is, is full of books. Yes. So well, I, you only see what the camera is showing. You're not seeing what's on my left and on my right. Oh. So let's, <laughs> let's say that, yeah, well, okay. in my desk as well. I have been, I have like a pile of books to review and things. Yeah. So yes, yeah. I love it. This is oh, wonderful. That's fun. <laughs> well, I really enjoyed the conversation. Well, I did too. It was a pleasure to meet you. And I want to thank you also for the influence that you have had in my children's. This is personal now. You know, my children's understanding of a biblical worldview. This is, uh, I, I, you know, I can't recommend mm. it enough. If you have children, and and uh, this is an incredible book. Maybe mm. they are in uh, public schools. This would be a great book to maybe have a little one-on-one with your kids, understanding the faith and understanding the times. And what is the third one? Understanding the culture. The culture. Yeah. That's right. Yes. But if you're if your young adults are 16 to 22, come to summit.org yeah. and pray about joining us this summer. These mm-hmm. two weeks change people's lives. They changed mine. And I see thousands and thousands of lives changed every year. Well, so, just, so 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 you are a product of the summit. Uh, the oh, I did not did not realize that. That's incredible. I attended the program as a high school graduate who huh. was a skeptic who yep. thought that I would graduate from church when I graduated from high school. Wow. And God used this two-week program to start to completely change the trajectory of my life and bring me wow. to the Lord. Uh, I know this. Story. We, we will probably talk all day because I think we have a lot of things in common. I, was, I, I also came to the Lord, and I was so blessed to have a very, very right pastor who loved philosophy, by the way. And mm. so he had the answers, you know, the, the things that I needed, you know, about the truth, you know, when I had yeah. so many relative truths. And so I'm very grateful for it, for that, for that. So this is great. Well, I'd love to talk more with you. I know you're super busy and uh, it's been a blessing. I know my, my audience is going to love this interview. So I appreciate you. Yeah. Thanks so much. And thank you for being a champion for truth. Of course, really you means too. a lot. Okay. <laughs> God bless you. Wasn't that a great interview? If you go to my show notes, you will find a link to my column for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, where you will read more about this conversation and the theme of Dr. Meyer's book. You will also find a link to his book's website and to Summit Ministries, so you can connect with Dr. Meyer's. And don't forget to share this episode on social media for a chance to win a copy of Truth changes everything. And until we meet again, may God bless and strengthen you as you stand strong on His truth and continue to write your own God-sized story. Thanks for listening.